because I'm here and making you be on Zoom, I can bring to you a very, very special guest today. Coming to you live from the chair next to me is Adrian Scarborough. Hello there. My first question to you, Adrian, is why are you a national treasure? Oh, wouldn't call myself that. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 15th year, number 773, Adrian Scarborough Masterclass. I just spent the last two weeks in England on a long-planned anniversary trip with my wife, Dee Ryan. But as I'm also teaching this fall at Northern Illinois University, working with third-year MFA grad students on speaking Shakespeare's verse, I taught my classes while I was gone via Zoom. And I was thrilled when old friend and two-time Olivier Award-winning actor Adrian Scarborough agreed to talk to my students about his experiences studying Shakespeare in drama school and also performing him professionally on stage. It was a masterclass. Adrian and I talked for almost two hours. He answered student questions, and he started our conversation by talking about how a British high school student's experience with Shakespeare is not unlike a typical American's. It always raised a sigh at school when everybody kind of went, oh, God, we've got to do Macbeth or Romeo and Juliet or something like that. Uh, And I think English teachers everywhere sort of dreaded the idea that they would have to bring it to the class. But it was, but having said that, if you were into it and if you really enjoyed it and liked it and, and it pressed all your buttons, then it was kind of a rather wonderful thing and you were, sur- you were surrounded by it. I come from uh, the Midlands as well, which is sort of very, not that far from Stratford. So we would often make journeys to see shows at Stratford uh, at the theatre and that was, you know, again, that was a terribly, terribly useful thing if, that, if, if you were that way inclined. But reading around the cl- reading Shakespeare around the class, I think, can be can put everybody off, can't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we've all we've, we've all, all found been that. there. Yeah, and we've, we've all sat next to the slowest King Lear in the history of literature. So, <laughs> Have you probably acted with one of those? Uh, yeah, yes, done many. Well, and he was in. Uh, uh, he also played. He doubled in the immortal roles of Poins and Justice Silence in Henry the Fourth Part Two with Michael Gambon. Uh, Albus Dumbledore as um, Falstaff, uh, and that was a challenge for different reasons. Which we, 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 <laughs> we'll go into a bit later. We'll on go into that. that. Did you find when you when you went to become an actor? Did you know that Shakespeare was then in your future? Did you think, oh, I'd love to act, but I don't want to do that, or I want to be an actor because I love Shakespeare? I mean, how did Shakespeare figure into your decision? Your decision to be an actor. So I was very, very fortunate in that Shakespeare figured in my life very early on because I had a mum who loved going to the theatre and she was absolutely passionate about poetry and about particularly about Shakespeare. Mm. She loved speaking it out loud. She loved saying it. She loved getting you sort of on her knee and kind of going, but this is really, really lovely to say. And it's really, really rhythmic and juicy and tastes really great in the mouth. So give it a whirl. Um, And I, as a very, very young boy, I think I was nine, 
maybe 10, the theatre down the road in Leicester was doing a production of Macbeth. And I got the part of Macduff's son, young Macduff's, <laughs> uh, who uh, essentially just has his throat cut by the murderers um, when they go to see Lady Macduff um, after, after Macduff has essentially absconded from home. And, uh, and Macbeth sends the murderers in. And uh, I think he's, I think one of them describes him as young fry of treachery, mm. they say. Um, <laughs> what, you egg? I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. young you fry egg. of treachery, yeah. But he has this bizarre scene with his mother um, where, where he sort of says, how will we live? Um, or no, she says to him, how will we live? And he says, as birds do, mother. Um, anyway, it's a it's a bit of a nonsensical and rather odd scene, but I suppose it's there uh, just to kind of go, oh, here's a sweet looking little moppet, uh, and let's kill him um, <laughs> in, in as bloodthirsty a way as we possibly can, and get the audience to ooh and ah, um, which is exactly what happened. But what was brilliant about my mum, this is a very long way long winded story, um, uh, was well, what was fantastic was that she took me through the entire play. Because she was in, she was absolutely in earnest about me um, understanding it and and reading the whole thing. She did have a thing about you know even the bits that you don't understand, you have to read them. Mm -hmm. And um, and kind of the, it's it's a good point, isn't it? Because the more you read them, the you know well, the easier they become in a sense. Yeah, and the more you read them, you realize oh, so much of it is understandable. But then you also look. I've read a lot of it now. It's really understandable. And no matter how much I read, some of it just isn't, and that's okay. Yes, and that's okay. And yeah. also, one of her points was, which has been made to me by many professionals since, if there's a bit that you don't understand, if you just say it at a reasonable lick, often. After a couple of weeks, you really do start to understand it better. And it does start to make sense to you. And somehow the meaning kind of ekes its way out of the rhythm of the thing. If you kind of plod your way through it, um, I, I think you're just making trouble for yourself. If you're trying to understand it sort of meter by meter, syllable by syllable, um, that's a highway to nowhere and no fun for anybody, let's face it. Well, and it's sometimes it's a longer, the, I mean, uh, and a, a single thought can go on for several lines. <sighs> yeah. Uh, uh, but, but I, I take your point. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's something I've already said, which is I have to read it out loud because sometimes it makes more sense coming out of my face than it does just, just reading it on the page, just reading it on the page. Um, uh, so what you're saying is very interesting, and I hope, and I hope that one of the things that you guys are taking away from not only this class but the whole program, which is that you must always take take what's useful and ignore the rest. Um, has that been a thing for you, both in 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 college, university, and in the profession where you're working with somebody and you go, well, that's not helpful, but I know my own way of getting to what this person wants. Do you or I do think you, that's true of every walk of life? Isn't yeah, it? I guess it is. Yeah, no, you're right. When you were in school, did you go, what the hell am I doing? Why am I doing this? Or, or or did you go, or did or here in England, you see a clearer path into the industry than maybe we see in America? Well, I was not an academic person at all. Uh, I was an absolute disaster at school, but the things that I excelled at and the things that I really loved. 
I'm not sure I even excelled. But some of the things that I really liked and enjoyed doing, uh, particularly, were English. It was one mm. of the it was one of the places where I could shine. I was a very good sight reader and always have been. Very very fortunate. I learned. You know, I learned to read very early on and my mum encouraged it very much. And we always had to read at night before bed and that sort of thing. Uh, and I maybe I just like the sound of my own voice, I suppose. I think we all have that um, to, a, to a certain, certain extent. <laughs> that's, that's a universal feeling. <laughs> well, as a sort of, but I say it's so much better than they do. <laughs> you went to Bristol Old Vic training? So course? I went to the Bristol Old Vic Theatre School for three years. But before that, I left school at 16 and then I went down the road to the local uh, further education college where I was very, very fortunate to meet uh, um, these three people who ran this drama course, this fantastic drama course. And uh, they would, were very, very generous with their teaching and their commitment to their students. And they had us all doing the most fantastic wonderful stuff so we read lots and lots of plays and they tried as hard as they possibly could not to be even remotely selective um, huh. about huh. anything it was just all up for grabs and you just tried anything that you fancied and that included lots of classical theatre which they took us to they also took us to lots of dance and lots of movement which kind of freed everybody up in the rehearsal room to kind of use their bodies and not be scared or frightened or embarrassed of being physical with one another. Um, and I think that that served me incredibly well. In fact, you couldn't join the course unless you did O-level dance. Oh. So there were an awful lot of 16-year-old boys wandering about in tights and jock straps and looking sort of slightly nervous. <laughs> but it served us really, really well. Yeah. It was a really, really, it was a great way in. Because I think Shakespeare is chewy. He's a physical playwright. He never he never wrote those plays to be read. Yeah. Not to oneself anyway. He, I, yeah, I was saying they were to be performed. I've been saying to these guys, not only does it encourage a kind of a physicality and an energy, it, it kind of requires it. I think so, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is Rich Fulcher, Bob Fossil from The Mighty Boosh on BBC America, and you're listening to the Reduce Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? We're still the remote Shakespeare Company, but you can find our next round of performance dates at our website, ReduceShakespeare.com. As always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office, venue, and ticket information. And now back to my conversation with Adrian Scarborough, talking to my MFA grad students at Northern Illinois University. After talking about AIDS experiences in drama school, I wanted to ask him about some of his professional experiences. So when you're in rehearsal with Sam Mendes on King Lear or uh, or whoever directed um, the Henry Henry Ford two that I saw, well, yeah. you did both Henry's both Henry Ford's back to back. We did uh, in rep. Uh, how much time in a professional rehearsal is spent on on diving into the text, or is it all just about getting it on its feet and you learn your lines and we'll work it out, or is there a group uh, effort to understand what is being said? Sam Mendes has a thing about the dogged pursuit of an idea mm. in a scene. And he 
says it quite a lot. And I've always loved dogged pursuit. I love that. Yeah. I think that's really, really brilliant. It's about it's about finding that wretched nub which is in there somewhere that you've got to get your hands on. So with Leah, we spent the first, I think we spent the first 10 days sitting around the table, just working our way through the play and trying to work out what was going on between the lines. Mm. And then Sam does this fantastic thing where he gets these huge carpets and he just makes this sort of floor of carpets and everybody has to sit around in a big circle and take, nobody's allowed on there uh, with any shoes on. You have to take either your, you can wear socks or you can wear your slippers um, or, or you can do bare feet. And somehow it roots you, somehow it secures you to the floor. Mm. Anyway, what he does then is he works his way through the play, scene by scene, with everybody standing up, hopefully off book, <laughs> um, and and he just kind of runs it a few times and lets you play, play, yeah, and encourages you essentially to do anything, whatever you like within that circle. There's no the reason it's in the round is because he doesn't want anything set yet. He doesn't want a particular movement to um, dictate what a scene might become. So he essentially just leaves you alone to do it and then at the end of each go it goes around the circle what was good about that what was interesting about that what held your attention what fascinated you what made you engage with the scene so that actually it becomes this fantastically collaborative art form yeah uh, which i just think is delicious and right up my street <laughs> Which is bloody hard, though, when you're playing something like The Fool, because his opening scene yeah. is essentially one of performance. Right. He comes on and does a routine. And if you don't know what that routine is and you don't know what the dynamic and the relationship between him and Lear is, uh, it's kind of quite difficult to sort of play the clown. But with Sam's approach, what's really brilliant about that is often that it gets to the nub of something because it really gets to the truth of it. If you play the truth of the thing, then actually what you will find is that the, the scene will open itself up to you beautifully. The other so stuff comes comes easily. Never go for the comedy. Yeah, more easily. Never go for the comedy. Avoid it like the plague, I would say. Yeah. Go for the truth of the thing and go for the, particularly in that first scene between Lear and the Fool. Yeah. It's all about bitterness and it's all about, it's about the Fool going, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. What have you just done? Yeah. You great clumsy oaf. Yeah. What a fool you've been. Well, and go for the truth of it and, and uh, avoid the comedy because if you go to the truth, you get better comedy. I think so. Yeah, yeah very much so. Um, I do love that line, dogged pursuit. We'll have to we'll have to remember that. Do you have a, a rule of thumb about decisions and choices that you make in these plays? Because sometimes the text gives you a lot and sometimes it doesn't. Or, or, or do you even agree with that? Uh, do you think that the text gives you more than you think? Or do you feel like, wait, but this this happens for re no reason that I can understand. We've got to make a choice that makes that make sense. Well, I think the dogged pursuit idea is one worth following. And yeah. the idea that you would sit for 10 days and, you know, we, we sat for 10 days with the, um, 
a copy of King Lear in front of all of us. And at the end of 10 days, Sam said, that's the, that is all the time that we can spend sitting around talking about this play. We don't have any more time to spend doing that. We have to get up on our feet and we have to start making it public. Right. Um, and what all, all of us kind of quietly groaned because everybody's, most actors are pretty terrified of getting up on their feet for the first time. <laughs> but all of us groaned as well because we'd learned so much and we'd found out so much of what was going on between the lines that what we wanted to do was essentially just spend another fortnight sat around just kind of going, oh my God, this is incredible. Isn't this an extraordinary play? Um, and I think we have to, we have to, it's our job as actors to use our imaginations as much as we possibly can. And if that sometimes involves filling in the gaps with our imaginations, we have to trust that our imaginations can honor our author's intentions. And do you find that when you're up on your feet, you go, hang on, I'm learning a bunch of stuff anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Right, you right, I mean, right. it's not like it's not like when you when you then go and stand up on your feet and rehearse a play for the next um, six weeks, which we, we had eight weeks with with Leah, which is such a luxury. I mean, it's only at the National Theatre would they be able to afford to give you that amount of time and pay a cast that much money. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it was just such a such a treat and such a luxury um, that it was a delight. But yeah, the next six weeks were a fantastic roller coaster ride of yeah. you know. Well, now we know this much about the play and we know sort of vaguely what what this play is about and what's going on between the lines. How do we make an audience see that clearly and stylishly and? And how do we excite them with this play as much as we've excited ourselves? And do, and that that was a long run as well, wasn't it? It was. Uh, well, the National is a funny place because they have a rep system, so you're not on every night uh, because there are other plays in the rep that play alongside you. So we did. We were on for six months, but then I think we only. I think we did about eight eighty four shows, okay. something like that. In six months. There's yeah, the, and there's what you learn by just repetition, repetition, repetition. But there's yeah. also what you learn by doing a show and then not doing it again for a week to ten days. Oh, isn't there though? Yes, absolutely. God, yeah. So you keep. Well, you must have had that a lot. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Constant. I mean, we uh, some of our RSC shows we've been doing for de literally decades, and 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 things occur to me, and I go, well, why the fuck did I not think of that twenty five <laughs> years ago? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's fun to work on material that is constantly surprising you and constantly giving you a challenge. I mean, it's like the goal is always just there and you can never quite get there. But the goal is to try to get there and you never do. Yeah. So you're never satisfied. I mean, ideally. Yeah. But th th there was one interesting thing, which was that Simon would never do two shows in a day because to do King Lear's in a day is a yeah. mighty undertaking. Right. And. I'm, you know, he used his clout and his heft and and just kind of said, I'm not going to do that. But I thought it there was there was a slight sadness for me because I think on matinee days, extraordinary things happen in the tiredness. Mm. Because after you've done a matinee, you're, you know, halfway through the second performance, you're so tired and exhausted, and sometimes you're on autopilot. But often what happens on autopilot is the most extraordinary and exciting thing because you're not thinking, you're not kind of controlling the environment that you're performing in and things spring out 
in the most extraordinary and exciting ways. I love second shows. I love them. <laughs> I think they're really, really brilliant because people are much more cavalier with what is going on, I think. Right. And that's, a yeah, they're just great. Do you not find in that second show go in your head going, wait, I've said this. No, hang on, I haven't oh, yeah. said it. Wait, what? Uh, where am I? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Adrian Scarborough talked to my class for another almost 90 minutes, so I may be able to share more excerpts with you, including some of my students' questions in future weeks. For now, though, send us your Shakespeare acting tips via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can also find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSE Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener. You can follow Adrian Scarborough on Instagram at 80 Scarbs, me on Instagram at the.shakespeareans, and I hope you'll check out my new website, The Shakespeareans. There you can find more information on how I can help you with monologues, presentations, or writing projects. Check out theshakespeareans.com and my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Austin Titchener. Thanks as always to dogged pursuer Matthew Croak, Web services by Ginger Power Limited and music by John Weber and Garage Band. A random fan shout out this week goes to Jennifer Krug O'Leary. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Drunk History's Rich Fulcher, another old friend we got to see in England. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please stay safe, get vaccinated, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 773 2319ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. I had one teacher who just said, it's very simple. Head for the full stops and don't stop until you get to one. He was a great believer that editors of Shakespeare plays were A, not actors, and B, the comma did not exist in Shakespeare's day. You had a full stop and that was it. And, um, and he was a great believer in making sure that, you, that everybody understood that. And often I think if you are struggling with a passage and you're struggling to sort of understand the rhythm of it and where to focus particular attentions and stresses, I think head for the full stop is a really, really good piece of advice. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less.